Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. This is episode, hmm, I think this is episode 53, 54, maybe, of the Hello, Old Sports podcast here on the Sports History Network, hosted by Dan and Andrew Newman. I am Dan and Newman, and if no one else is volunteering, I will continue to be. My guest host in brother is Andrew Newman. I shouldn't say my guest host. My co-host and brother is Andrew Newman. Andrew, how are you doing today? I am all right, Dan. Um, I am not thrilled with that introduction. You also seemingly mispronounced your own name there for a second. What did I say? Kind of like said like Dan and like... I think you were trying to elongate the end, but it sounded like you put an A in between there. Um, but not, neither here nor there. Um, I'm doing pretty good. Um, we're uh, at the time of this recording, the New York Giants are undefeated, and that is not an unusual situation. It distinguishes itself from previous years in that they are undefeated and they have played a game. So <laughs> I am. I'll let people probably won't be too hard to do the math on when we recorded this between by the time it airs i'm mm-hmm. guessing they will no longer be undefeated um kind of just turn the page from predominantly baseball season to a mix of baseball and and football both college and pro and we're you know sort of the the changing of the seasons from a sports standpoint uh right now and i feel like that um kind of lends itself for reasons we might get into specifically with this time of year to today's episode, but, um, you know, really, really one that it's not pegged into a specific, we're honoring the specific date of some sort of anniversary. And this might be the first episode that is the result of an episode that was in and of itself, the result of a previous episode, because we did our 2021 in memoriam at the end of 2021. And one of the, individuals that we discussed that we honored was John Madden. And as we spoke a little bit about Madden during that episode, we kind of came to the realization that John Madden and his life and his career and his legacy was something that was worthy of a further discussion. So back towards, uh, I guess, more towards the beginning of the summer, I want to say we did a whole episode just on John Madden. And then Andrew had the idea that it might be good to do an episode talking sort of about one of the more consequential changes in sports broadcasting over the last, you know, 30 to 35 years. And that was the coming into uh, coming into existence and then the growing power of Fox Sports on the sports broadcasting landscape. And that's, you know, they 
And there was a period in the mid 90s where they started broadcasting three of the four major sports, started with the NFL, then the hockey year or two later to baseball. And so we thought it would be kind of a fun little examination of something. And we kind of pride ourselves here on Hello Old Sports for doing anything that has to do with the history of sports, you know, anything that could be considered quote unquote old sports. And that can go all the way back to 1869. Like we did in a previous episode in a recent episode about the Cincinnati red stockings of 1869. And that can also be something that we remember well in our lifetime. And that's this type of an episode. So, and we could also, by the way, we should also point out that Fox Sports existed in 1869, but it was literally sports that involved Fox Sports. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, Andrew, why don't I kind of leave it to you to, to kick it off? Where do you want to start with this whole thing? Right. So we're going to talk a lot about them landing the NFL initially. I found a great oral history on uh, on them landing the NFL, which took place in 1994 was the first season. Um, just this sort of also ties into my, um, another one of sort of my wheelhouses and things I'm interested in, which is, I don't want to say the history of TV because I can't speak intelligent. There's a, there's a very specific time frame that I kind of have learned a lot about. And that's really the mid to late eighties and early nineties. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The primary reason is honestly from growing up and being interested in late night television, uh, David Letterman, Jay Leno, the original late night war, the subsequent one in, in 2010. Um, and just that's sort of how I learned about affiliates and network clearances and, you know, some of the haggling that goes on with contracts and, and things like that. Um, and then also, you know, sports sports tv rights is always a big thing it's a hot button issue these days with the proliferation of streaming and things like that um and as i've gotten older this is from the same time period but i've learned more about sort of the business side of professional wrestling in that era which is its own really interesting animal which we, we won't get into but that at the moment we might one day um but that's sort of how i um and when i said we might get into it i mean me and my brother might get into professional wrestling as a tag team um, start, start our own territory Start our own territory, yeah. Get some color. Um, so I just it's it's sort of an you know it's weird to see some of these players pop up in this story that I recognized from you know like Dick Ebersole I've recognized from both late night TV wars in the late eighties early nineties from professional wrestling from Saturday Night Live all of that so he's he's a character in this albeit not a central one. Um, we'll start really briefly with the history of television. Now, um, so. You know, TV, uh, there's always been this sort of false thing that, oh, there was only three channels. There was three networks. And there might have been three channels on most TV channels in the 30s, or the, not the 30s, but the, the 50s. But, I mean, most of the time, if you had a TV in the, in the 60s or 70s, even if you didn't have, quote-unquote, cable when that came out, you had three networks, but then you had other channels that were sort of local channels. Now it might be as might be five or six, but it was it was almost nowhere was it three. Well, the Yankees, for instance, were on PIX starting in the fifties, or maybe even earlier than that, and that was not a major network affiliate. And even in the early fifty, even in the early fifties, there was a Dumont network, which Dumont, in addition to being a network, was also a brand of television. And some of the earliest NBA finals aired on the Dumont network. So you're right. 
it hasn't always just been NBC, CBS, ABC. There's always been others in and out. And right. plug plug in a TV antenna now. You get more than just the three or four broadcast channels. You get all sorts of other stuff. It's always been like that. Right. So this pertains to the NFL, and it actually ties into our last episode. But CBS, it had the NFL, you know, what became the NFC, but the original NFL package for years, going back to the 50s. Um, you know, if you go earlier than that, there was a thing where a lot of them were on CBS, but a couple of different teams were on different networks. And then one, I think it was like 11 teams were on CBS channels, two were on the Dumont network, and one was on something else. And the NFL sort of consolidated that and came up with a similar package to what we're used to today, where the NFC games were on CBS. When the AFL came in in 1960, first they were on ABC, then they joined with NBC. They were NBC through the merger in the late 60s or in 1970. And that's really sort of the way things went for 25 years. The NFC was on CBS, the AFC was on NBC, and Monday Night Football was on ABC. Um, if it was a if it was a team that you know, if it was an interconference game, the away team drove it. So if it was the Giants against the Jets in, you know, as a Jet home game, the game would be on CBS because the Giants were the visiting team. Um, you know, that's been kind of the rule that that's changed in the last five years or so, but but pretty steady throughout. And that was why, for instance, we talked in the Madden episode about the all Madden team. John Madden would only pick guys that he had seen and done games for in that season and every AFC team had a maximum possibility of two of being in front of Madden and Summerall in any given season. And that then that doesn't even take into account the fact that that could have been on Monday night. It could have been on Sunday night. Potentially it could have been a game that was done by another broadcast team at CBS. So that rigidity meant, that there wasn't much crossover as far as broadcasters doing games for the other conference. So for our purposes, we won't get real deep into the founding and creation of Fox. Late 1985, it was announced that the what became known as the Fox Network was planning on starting up. 1987, they went on the air April 5th, 1987, and they'd actually attempted to grab the NFL as a fledgling network in 1987 to grab the NFC package. And then to be a good point to stop and say, especially in the 80s, it's even true now, although things have changed a little. The NFC package is the bigger package in the in the NFL. If you think about, especially in the 80s, you get the NFC East teams, the Giants, the Cowboys, Washington, the Eagles, those are big media markets. You have the 49ers, who were the bell of the ball at the time. The Chicago Bears, the second biggest city in the country. There's a team in L.A. Who wasn't bad either. The Rams were pretty good. Compared to the AFC, where at at that moment they had a team in L.A., but the AFC had, you know, their premier teams were in Denver and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, Cleveland and Buffalo a little bit later. The Patriots were kind of an afterthought. The Jets were kind of an afterthought. The bigger market was the AFC or was the NFC, the what was the CBS package going back to the 50s. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was that I think that Fox actually put in this, basically the same money offer 
for when now was it for the NFC? I've read that it was for Monday Night Football. Um, I think it was for Monday Night Football in the eighties, in eighty seven, yeah. in eighty seven, and apparently the other networks even intervened with the league to keep it with ABC. And there was something I, I maybe it even was Ebersol or maybe it was somebody from CBS said something along the lines of we didn't want the games to go to Fox because we wanted to protect the brand and the brand of televised NFL football would be damaged if it were to go to Fox. It would hurt our business potentially if they went to this upstart network. And so there was that antipathy for it among not just, you know, the league and maybe some of the establishment, but among some of the broadcasters too. And maybe, and I'll leave it to you when's the right time, but I think we also need to frame it a little bit about sort of what Fox was doing in those days. Right. So in 1987, Fox was an idea. By the early 90s, Fox was a property that I think would surprise most people in the TV industry with how well it was doing, but it was not a mainstream channel. The, the biggest shows on Fox at the time, you know, let's use the 91, 92 era time frame. Married with Children was their first big live action hit, um, sort of the most warped version. You could probably you probably could not have aired that on any other channel, even if they wanted to. That's the exactly would, right. The, the heat would have been so much. You know, basically the Leave It to Beaver flipped on its head entirely. Mm-hmm. The Simpsons, which it's funny when they talk about that. The Simpsons was not really a subversive show at all, but it was a cartoon that wasn't made exclusively for children. So people, th- that was groundbreaking. Uh, Beverly Hills 90210 had started and was really the defining show for young people for you know a four or five year period. If you were a certain age in that time frame, mm-hmm. especially if you were a teenage girl, that was your show. Um, a couple of years later was the X Files, so they were doing a lot of good television, but it was it was very much akin to how cable networks now have sort of a brand. Fox had a brand. Fox wasn't going to have a three cam uh, sitcom where with the wacky neighbor, you know, and the, the at the end everybody's happy. Even that just was not their style at the time. And in fact, when they first started, you talked speaking of other shows that are on the that were on the air or have been on the air forever. When they first were shopping Law and Order, one of the networks they shopped it to was Fox. This is late eighties, early nineties, and the programming people at Fox said, "You know, we think this is a good show, but it's not. It's not a Fox show. It's too. It's too normal. There's no, you know, you you either had to have everybody on Fox was bizarre." They were bizarre because it was science fiction. They were bizarre because it was, you know, Al Bundy, who hated his family. It wasn't normal people in the network. And I think you left out another one that to me almost sort of defines Fox of the early 90s. And that's in Living Color, which was yeah. which was the um, sort of Fox's answer to Saturday Night Live. It was very heavily led by the Wayans brothers. It was almost entirely black i think there were sort of one or two white people on the cast and the rest was all black and so it was kind of, of like was a, jim carrey yeah. one of whom was jim carrey who was hilarious on the show and it was just very very sort of i don't I only use the word counterculture but it was it was very sort of 90s pop you know it was not something that anybody's parents were going to be watching it was it was the network of teens and 20 somethings and, and in, in fact, in Living Color, 
And I remember even as a 10 year old, whenever this started with the NFL and Fox, one of the things that they used to do is they used to do like a counter programming every year to the Super Bowl halftime show. The article I have mentions that, that they went from one year counter programming the Super Bowl halftime show to, you know, bidding on getting Super Bowls. So they were not they weren't part of the community the way these other three networks were. They were seen as sort of the anti network. Well, and and I think that's an important thing to 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 talk about too is and then we'll we'll move on to the football aspect of it but um so you just mentioned their one of their most popular shows probably their most signature show is in living color going straight up against saturday night live one of the sacred cow franchises and it's kind of funny to think because you know saturday night live for so long had been the counterculture but it's a sort of a sacred cow late night franchise people forget this because it wasn't successful but fox's first big move in 1987 was to put joan rivers on the air opposite johnny carson Mm -hmm. to go against the tonight show yeah estranging her from him for the that show was on for a couple of months and he would never acknowledge her existence again. So they this was not going to be a channel that had a lot of sacred cows. Rupert Murdoch, who, you know, certainly is somebody whose place in American and broadcasting history can be debated in many ways or from many angles. But from this story, you're seeing a guy who basically from the start was swinging for the fences. And in this case, Swinging for the fences didn't mean making a bid to get, um, you know, rights to the USFL. It didn't mean we're going to air two NBA games a week on, you know, Friday and, and Monday nights. It meant we are going for not just the NFL, but we are going for the crown jewel NFL package, which is the which we just talked about, the NFC means you get all those big markets, all those big teams. Um, and I think the other guy whose role in this can't be understated is a guy who right around this time frame is, has gone from relatively obscure business person to probably the most powerful owner in football in a very short time, and that's Jerry Jones. And they have, they're sort of simpatico right away because Jones's outlook on the NFL is in a lot of ways – the antithesis of what most other owners, you know, the old line owners you think about. The Roonies and the Maras and the that type the of uh, and model. The yeah. Fox is very much that way with TV. So, yeah, Jerry actually, Jones is a guy who had just come in and fired the coach, the legendary coach who'd been the only coach the team had ever known for 30 well, years. That, that actually comes up in this story, which is interesting. Um, so I guess at one point, uh, Murdoch says to Modell or says to Jones, and I'm reading a, a ringer oral history from a few years back on this. And if you want to look it up, it's very good. He says, Jerry, I think I was the stalking horse last time. I'm not going to do that and just be the stalking horse. Um, I think Murdoch felt that he'd been used sort of like the NFL for years, used Los Angeles as a way to beat teams into line to get new stadiums or to renovate their stadiums uh-huh. with the TV networks. He could say, well, we can just, you know, we have another option at this point because there's four networks and three TV packages. It used to be three and three and ABC was happy with Monday night football. Now you've got another one you can play off of. And, and 
you know, attempt to at least drive the prices up. Because I guess also at this time, what you're getting is a lot of complaining from the networks to the NFL about what they're spending on these channels with the fee- with the thought of, well, the NFL has nowhere else to go. They're going to have to listen to us. And yes, we're paying them a ton of money, but we somewhat set the terms. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think even in the late 80s, early 90s, a lot of people, you know, they didn't have cable or you just associated with you associated football with those big three channels. And this was long before the Internet. And so I'm sure there was a fear spoken or unspoken that there were people who, if you moved them to these other channels, just weren't going to find them and weren't going to watch the games. And the other thing that happened for all three networks and I'm familiar with the two of them. I wasn't really familiar with ABCs and Capital Cities. But in the 80s, NBC gets bought by GE. CBS is owned by Larry Tisch. These are all businessmen, cost-cutting guys. And there's a recession in the early 90s, and Larry Tisch was quoted as saying, no way I'm going to lose money on the NFL. The previous CBS deal had been for $265 million a year for the NFC. The network calculated it could break even if it paid the NFL $250 million a year. So Tish told his executives, that's the number. Tell the NFL that's what we're paying, $250 million. So we're, t- we're, we're lowering the price by $15 million. So they went and basically said, this is what we're willing to do, $250 million. And that was Fox's opening. Fox basically knew that they were going to have to, they were going to have to go in and way overbid CBS. They weren't going to be able to beat them with a Price is Right $251 million deal. They were going to have to way overbid. Um, and the clearances, like you mentioned, were a problem. There was there were more than, um, there were, I think, 60 major markets that didn't have a Fox affiliate in their, in their market. So not, none of the local affiliates had picked up Fox yet, which meant, okay, you give them the NFL package, that's not on in the in those cities. I don't think it was New York, Chicago, LA, but it was like mid-sized cities. It wasn't all Jasper, Wyoming. I um, listened to, and I actually was just, I, I listened to it years ago, and I've actually just been listening to it again. Um, there's this um, series of videos on YouTube. Um, I, it's like, I think it's like the Museum of, it's called METV Legends is the group that it's done by the Archive of American Television. Are you familiar with this at all? No, I'm not. What they do is they do these long form interviews with all of these people. You know, these are hours long interviews. The, the George Carlin one is like six hours or something crazy like that. And I was watching the one with Ed O'Neill and he was talking about how when he first got married with children, he went to Fox and again, pre-internet, very different world. He would go home to his to his hometown in Ohio and people would say, what happened to you? What happened to your acting career? We see you on a beer commercial once in a while, but we don't know <laughs> where you are. And um, he would say, uh, you know, I'm on uh, I'm on this hit show, but wasn't on TV in that TV market. So people didn't know. It's like a band who's huge in Japan, but they're from here and they're not huge here. You know what I mean? Where, where sometimes you can go over there. So we could literally, we could make this a 19 hour episode. So I'll try to zoom past some of this, but the NFL ownership landscape is changing. You got a new commissioner, Pete, uh, 
Paul Tagliab, who's been in for about five years after Pete Rozelle. Some of the owners like Modell were the guys who had been really heading up the deals with these networks in the past. They've been pushed aside by the Jerry Joneses and I guess Pat Bowen from the Broncos of the world. And these are guys who are not really beholden to old deals, owns or own arrangements. Um, they uh, bring in a guy named David Hill. Fox does. Fox has a guy who's the major creative force at Fox sports. And I have him, he's a fascinating guy. He's, he's Australian. So he's not, you know, a guy who's grew up loving American football or anything like that. But some of the things he created and came up with will come up throughout all of this, but he was one of the most significant, you know, fat figures in how you watch sports today even if you've never heard of him just because of some of the things he did in this, uh, not just in landing the NFL for Fox, but the pregame show and things like that. Um, so he kind of goes in and, and it's, and seemingly really wow is the NFL with any of their, um, reservations they might've had about what he was able to, you know, what, what they were able to deliver, sort of, you know, they had their reservations, he answered them, and then some, they kind of left that thinking, okay, well, you know, you never know exactly at which point they went from thinking this is a suitable stick to use to beat CBS into line versus, oh, this is a, you know, viable option to actually get there. So they meet with them in December of 93. Um I guess one of the things Hill said was that the other networks, the A and B games have seven cameras and the rest have five. We will have a minimum of seven cameras at every game and the big games will have 12 cameras. We'll have more angles, more for the viewers. He talked about audio, um, said he really wowed guys. Um, and that they talked about, they were going to make the NFL the linchpin of their network. You know, they were going to be the first major thing the network had. They wanted to promote the NFL year round. And this is the anecdote I was looking for. Um, this is from Preston Patton, who was the Fox broadcasting president of network distribution. He said there were 60 cities in the United States where there was no fourth TV station to become our affiliate. CBS was saying to the NFL, if you move these rights to Fox in these 60 cities, there will be no free over the air broadcast of the NFL. You've got to come to this meeting of the NFL committee. Murdoch went and said within 60 days, Preston will get a secondary affiliation with some TV station in every one of those 60 markets. And apparently they did. What, who's see. not going to want to have the NFL? Yeah, 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 yeah. So CBS, you know, Fox's big thing was they knew they weren't going to make money on this right away, but they were going to use it to build the profile of the network. They, uh, Come and I'm looking for the exact number. So what they came up with, and remember, um, CBS had, had said, okay, we're going to offer them $15 million less than what um, what we had paid last year. So they were going to go down to, I believe, $250 million. Is that the number we had said? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Fox offers for four years. They offer $1.6 billion. So Is that $400 million a year? 400 yeah 4.4 a year basically mm -hmm. so they blow cbs's offer out of the water 60 percent more than what cbs had offered um and they ultimately the nfl thinks about it they sort of weigh their decisions 
Fox Fox's bid was lowered slightly to three hundred and ninety-five million a year is what ended up being the official number. The news was delivered during CBS's Christmas party, which I guess dampened the mood of CBS's Christmas party. Um Larry Tish, I guess, basically said, absolutely not. We are not interested. It's done. And what year? You said it's in December. Is this December of 92 that they're announcing this or, or 93? December of 93. Okay. So they are, they don't, they just find out basically with like, you know, three weeks left in the season that this is it for them. Yep. This, this is this quick. And then apparently, according to this, uh, shortly after that, Rupert Murdoch said, okay, now somebody tell me how this game works. Um, that, that was that was part of it because Rupert Murdoch being from Australia not being you know he didn't know anything about American football other than what it was going to bring him in in dollars so a couple of things happen here and again with this this is oral history is great we could get into a lot of aspects of it sort of a side note is that then after that CBS said well let's try to steal NBC's package and I guess the NFL told them Nope, that's not how this is going to work. We told you guys that if you, if you know, Fox could bid on both packages, but they basically shut CBS down right away and said, no, you, you know, you lost out on your package. You can't now try to steal NBC's. Interestingly, five years later, Larry Tish is gone and NBC pay or CBS pays so much more for the AFC, which is the weaker package. Than they would have if they had had to to keep Fox five years earlier or to keep uh, keep the NFC. But to be fair, it's the weaker package in the late 90s. Then all of a sudden, though, you got Belichick and Brady. You got Peyton Manning. I think it's still the weaker package, though. You think it's still the weaker package? Are we talking economics here? Are we just talking about economic economics? I'm talking economics. Okay. yeah. No, the AFC has been the dominant conference last 20 years. I still bet. If you even at the height of that, I think if you put uh, put the two packages up for an even, uh, you know, for an open bid, the NFC one would get more money. And as much as I hate to say it, a lot of that's the Cowboys. Yeah, I think that's Cowboys. Yeah. Bigger team in the in the bigger team in the bigger market, New York, you know, the giant. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But um, I'm guessing from a network standpoint. Yes. So you certainly got better football the last 20 years in the AFC. And this is an uh, interesting time for CBS too, because the eighties, they had had the NBA. They had had the NBA during the golden age of the NBA with <clears throat> the whole magic bird era. I don't know when they first got the NBA. I think it was in the late seventies. And then the last year of the NBA on CBS was, I think it was the first year that the Pistons won the title. I think it was the year the Pistons beat the Lakers in 89, I believe. And I, then I believe it went to NBA on NBC. No, wasn't NBC's first year, the Bulls first title. Wasn't that kind of the, I think the 90 finals. I'll check Pistons blazers. I believe was NBC. All right. I'll look. Um, so then just to sort of put a button on, on the, the but the point I was going to make was that, and then CBS and we'll probably touch on this in a few minutes. CBS then loses baseball after 93. And so after 93, they don't have a major professional sport until they get football back five years later. Yeah, they never get hockey. It's similar to NBC for a couple of years there where they didn't have much after they lost the NBA. 1990 was the last year it was on CBS. Oh, so I was wrong. So it was the first year of the Bulls. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, which kind of fits nicely, kind of is a is a, a tidy wrap up to it. But um, absolutely. So the last thing for this was NBC sort of um, was feeling the pressure that, hey, they may keep Fox on CBS and we may get left out on the cold. Or we, I keep saying that we may keep the NBC on NFC on CBS mm-hmm. and we get left out in the cold. So they upped their offer for their package. But part of the deal was Ebersole got two Super Bowls in the four year rotation the next time. So they got they got twice the amount of Super Bowls in that next rotation. And that was why we talked about Madden went mm-hmm. forever without doing a Super Bowl, because there was there had also been some weird, quirky thing with the Olympics. So Madden never does a Cowboy Super Bowl. Those three and four years, he doesn't. And he, they don't do the game the year in between either. So, yeah, it's a long time between when Madden and Summer all do Super Bowls. They do the Redskins and the Bills in 91, and then they don't do another one till 96 with Green Bay and the Patriots. So let's talk a little about some of the talent. They we we talked a lot about Madden last time, and this article goes deep into the the pursuit of Madden, um, but it gets into some other interesting stuff. And I do we should talk a lot about the pregame show too. But um, there's a lot of people at the time. You you made the, the comment in the last one. People were like Bart Simpson's going to be calling NFL games, and it was like there was no roadmap for well, what is Fox going to do? Are they going to take this seriously? Are they going to you know, make this some irreverent thing that's geared towards the people who watch Fox. Otherwise, um, they go after Madden. Madden's got his choice between basically all three networks. He's leaning towards Monday Night Football on ABC. Um, he meets with Rupert Murdoch and is very impressed. And is also the money is, you know, so far and away above what he would get somewhere else. He's going to be the signature guy on the network. Um, so they, uh, you know, they ultimately land John Madden. They land in trying to woo Madden. They land his, uh, producer, his director. They get Pat Summerall lined up. So that number one team from CBS moves over. So they go right into Fox Madden Summerall immediately airs Lenza Fox people are, you know, the fans are breathing a sigh of relief that, okay, they're going to, you know, John Madden's not going to go for any grab ass. Like, it's obviously going to be a regular football broadcast. Um, Which is funny because nowadays, whenever one of these networks gets a new sport, they can't wait to put their stamp on it and do something different and weird and quirky. But now they Fox saw that the recipe was just to do what it being done what had been done for years just on a different network. And so that's, I don't know. I miss those days, I guess when every, every network that got a sport didn't try to reinvent it with their own brand. I think the other thing too, is you just, you can't understate how important that was for them to have Summerall and Madden. And also Fox did maybe allow Madden to be a little bit more of a character than he would have been on CBS with the turducken and some of the, you know, more, you know, he always did the telestrator, but I think they were able to give sort of an appropriate amount of leeway to making Madden more of a character without hurting the underlying product. So they do, um, they bring in some guys from CBS. They make their B team, I believe it was Dick Stockton, but anyway, it's, it's established broadcasters, but then what they do is they, you know, they're, they say they're not just going to move everybody down one channel and you know move everybody over or put on a new blazer so what they do beyond that which is kind of interesting is they hire a bunch of young broadcasters 
We'll get back to Jimmy Johnson as part of the pregame show when we talk about that in a minute. But they bring in four very young sort of rookie broadcasters. Joe Buck, Kenny Albert, Tom Brenneman, and Kevin Harlan. Joe Buck obviously just called his first game anywhere else nationally but the Fox Network last night on ABC. Um, they, the ages, Buck was 25, Kenny Albert was 26, Tom Brenneman 30, and Kevin Harlan 34. Those guys are most, if not all, still prominent play-by-play guys in sports and the NFL to this day. And I'll give you another one. He's not in the NFL anymore, but Mike Breen. Was he, Mike, he was on Fox. Mike Breen does games for Fox during those first couple of years. And that's a guy who's been the voice of the NBA for the last, what, 15, 17 years. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, they obviously had an eye. They wanted to bring in a couple of the top teams to be, to lend it credibility, but they also wanted to find their own way. Now, a guy like Joe Buck is certainly not a, you know, he's not a, a, a sketch comic. He, he's a, a broadcaster, comes from a legendary family. But, you know, these are new faces. They're, they're interested in guys who fit the traditional mold of sportscaster. I mean, they're all 30-year-old clean-shaven white guys in blazers. But they're also not – they didn't just take everybody whole cloth from CBS. You know, guys who were calling games in 1977 and moved them over to Fox for 1994. They mixed it well. Yep. So – the other thing I want to talk about is the pregame show. Um, and this is revolutionary. And it's almost. Most of those guys are still there now doing the same shtick. And it's it's almost become a parody of itself. And also in this era, pregame shows are much less vital than they were in the past, to be honest. But you also have to discuss how sort of revolutionary from a television standpoint the fox pregame show was they get terry bradshaw from cbs terry bradshaw who'd been a uh he'd been in the pregame first of all the pregame show is gonna be twice as long it's gonna be an hour instead of half an hour um they bring in terry bradshaw who'd been doing games at cbs and then was uh, in the studio certainly had a little bit of a personality but was still very much doing the sports broadcaster Thing I guess he had a chalkboard at CBS was one of his most famous things. Um, they bring on Howie Long, whose career had, had just recently ended. Um, and Jimmy Johnson, who had just well, left the Cowboys. They ultimately end up with um, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, one of the league meetings they had, Jimmy Johnson and, and, and Jerry Jones, both drunk, had gotten into a screaming match. And in this story, this is this is a. Uh, one of the Fox executives says, Eddie, David, and I were there the night of the screaming match. It was around 1130, and we'd already had several cocktails. Through the little trees or short strubs, we heard the effing screaming going on. And they said, holy S, they're going for it. Everybody was incredibly drunk. Ter- Jerry had fired Jimmy. Um, they, I guess, immediately said, get to Dallas, and let's see what we can offer him to get him right on to uh, the Fox pregame show, you know, fresh off of the sidelines of the Super Bowl into the Fox pregame show. He, Jimmy Johnson, did not want to come to L.A. every week. He wanted to do some of the some of the broadcasting in Cal or in his home in Florida, which has continued to this day. Um, now, if you watch if you watch that show and uh, by halftime, he's not there anymore. He does the pregame show and gets on an airplane. Which I've always kind of felt like, why? He's he's trying to prove a point there. 
he's already out there. We're going to kill him to stay around for another three hours. Yeah, and in 1994, you should be a lot more willing to kiss Jimmy Johnson's butt than you are in 2022. Um, I think a lot of what this is about, I mean, Terry Bradshaw's got to be pushing 80 years of age. I think a lot of what this is about, and I again, I give him credit for doing it because I really love the fact that they still have the same pregame show that they had almost 30 years ago. But my guess is that this is a lot of them just trying to kind of keep the band together and keep the three of them still doing the show. And I also think that Strahan has been a great addition to that crew. I think he's been sort of the perfect younger guy, telegenic, knows how to do TV, obviously. But I think a lot of the reasons they still tolerate some of the stuff from Jimmy Johnson is because the other two are still there also. So they bring in um, James Brown to fill in the uh, the group. So the, the original group is JB, Terry, uh, Howie, and Jimmy. Um, and the pregame show is, it's really an entertainment show. And that was David Hill was sort of all over that of him saying, you know, he would get mad at them if there were two pure football segments in a row. He, I guess, was always, you know, encouraging Jimmy John or uh, Terry Bradshaw to sort of really let as much of his personality through as possible. Um, he's quoted as saying where people were like, oh, how are you going to uh, fill up? an hour and he's like even in 1994 he's like, look at all these guys all these co- columns every week all these articles all these talk radio shows all these tv shows you don't think we can talk about football for an hour right before the football game starts yep um so they they also the other thing they have a football field which now they all do but they had like a little 20 yard football field in the studio to go over stuff um and it was just, it was a very, very different vibe. You know, a few years later, they bring in comedians, first Jimmy Kimmel, and then Frank Caliendo had the job for years. Um, and really, from the start, this sort of studio production was revolutionary, and they've all tried to copy it to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they've, yeah, they've, it's, it's, it's it's there's obviously been a lot of bells and whistles added, but in a lot of ways, it's the same show almost 30 years later as it was then. And I guess the only the other thing we could talk about sort of as um, as the game starts. And I feel like if you're of a certain age. This is almost second nature to you. And if you're of. My age, I'm like probably just as young as the cutoff of this. The thing they did that was revolutionary was they put the score on the screen at all times. It was called the Fox Box. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, it was, and you can actually look up articles that talk about the sort of the evolution of the Fox Box, the score bug. But it was originally, it was like a little in the upper left corner. It was kind of like see-through. I hadn't realized that until I looked at it yesterday while I was doing research for this. And it just had the team. So it would say, you know, NYG, PHI, the score, and the quarter, and the time. Obviously, over the years, that's grown. It's gone through iterations. For a while, it was all along the top of the screen. Now they've incorporated who's got how many timeouts left. Um, but the fact is, if you watch any sporting event now any american sporting event on any channel you know no matter how high maybe if you get to really local high school football but even if you're watching 
D3 college field hockey somewhere. I don't know why you are, but you know, if you are, <laughs> the score is on the screen, the score and the clock. And the thing, this was considered like not sacrilege, but it was considered the stupidest thing you could do. And I'll read some Dick Ebersole quotes on because here. they it, wanted people to keep watching the game until they could find out the score. The the thing was, yes, you don't let people. And I guess the thought was, if you tell people, if people turn the game on and see that it's a blowout, they're going to turn it off right away. And I guess the thing Hill is quoted as saying here is essentially. So otherwise, they if it was that, you'd never show the score. then. So if you if they wait two minutes and then turn the score on, you're going to turn it off. Um, but Dick Ebersole was one of the guys because NBC didn't for years. I don't know if they did until they lost football. I think CBS did when they came back, but I don't think NBC ever before, uh, you know, before they lost football, I don't think they put the score bug on the, on the screen. And like you said, you do not turn on a sporting event now without the score. And it's, you know, it's funny because some of these innovations or changes or whatever you want to call them, I'm not uniformly positive about, you know, the, I like the Terry, Jimmy, uh, Howie pregame show. I still enjoy it. I'm not in love with the fact that every single sports analyst has to be a brand and a personality now because it just grates on me and it gets very tiresome. So I'm not saying that I am uniformly in love with every single one of these changes that they made. How in the world anybody ever thought it was anything but a good idea to have the score of the game on as you're watching the game? is beyond me because I remember as a kid, like you're watching a game and you're like, what's the score? I want to know the score. What is the, it's just, it, it's, it just baffles me 30 years later, how anybody thought that people watching the game would turn it off if they knew the score. It's just ridiculous. Yep. And that's, I found the part of it I was looking for. Um, and Hill's talking about, he was out walking his dogs. He came in to watch to turn a, a soccer game on. He said, he watched the game for 15 minutes he said, I don't know what the score is. He said, I'll just put it up in the corner. Um, I guess Hill was madness quoting a story where Hill said, he said, if the score and the time is the most important thing, why don't we just put it up and leave it there? That's where the Fox box came from. I guess every other network was like, this is stupid. They don't want you to know if it's a blowout. Um, uh, and then this, this is an interesting the, the guy named Lou Dermillo or Dermillo. It was a manager of media relations for Fox. He said, I remember early in the season suggesting to a reporter if they had more than one TV in the house and you had a game on NBC and a game on Fox at the same time, put them both on, leave the room and go back. Tell me the box isn't the first thing to look at to see what the score is and how much time is left. Um, the thing, yep, And then the, the this, I had never realized this. And this is very interesting. This is a guy named Jerry Kepner, who was Fox Sports senior president of field operations and engineering said today there's nothing without an, eth uh, an ethernet jack or a data port this is 1994 before the game a team of very young and eager techs would show up at your football stadium they would ask you to go to your multi-million dollar scoreboard and start soldering some wires to the back of your scoreboard <laughs> if it went well we'd get data, data back to the trucks if it went better the data was in a format we could understand and if we got really lucky it showed up on the screen <laughs> so they had to go through all of that. Like that's the other thing that catches me off guard. Like if I have DVDs of old Nick games or whatever, 
sometimes if they put the score up, it'll just be a picture of and you can tell it's a tight zoom on the actual scoreboard. Yeah. Like at mm-hmm. the at the garden or at the spectrum or whatever. It'll just be a, t- a close because they couldn't even didn't even have that technology then. Yeah. It's just a close-up of the clock on the scoreboard. Um I guess Dick Ebersole's quote was on. I remember Dick Ebersole saying, I'm not giving my viewers a roadmap to turn the channels elsewhere. Um, yeah, but what if they turn it on and they see it's a good game and they want to stay with it? And if they turn it on, and they don't see it there. There's nothing to draw them in. And this we can we'll move on in a second. But this is the Hill quote. He said, Dick went on and on, uh, added, aided and abetted by Rudy Martsky. They had based their argument on the assumption that the sports fan had an IQ of three. That was if the sports fan was going to switch on and saw the score was seemingly a blowout, they'd switch it off again. It's like, well, you're going to put the score up every three or four minutes. And if that's the case, you're going to lose them anyway. And Dick Ebersole has a quote to wrap this section up and is is clearly pretty testy about it. He says, I don't know how many times I have to say it, but of course he was right. It made me look foolish because I was always somebody who was talking about how important the viewer was. So again, that's, almost passe today because it's like well of course that would be on the screen you know just like of course the first down line is on the screen and i'm with you i go ahead sorry well why have the score on the at the game yeah yeah. yeah what if yeah. you go to the game i don't know what inning who knows if they know what inning it is they might leave yeah and it's that's what i mean it's um of course some and you're, i'm with you i'm a you know we obviously we do a, a a broadcast we do a, a show on sports history and that you know we're we're the furthest thing from you know who cares about anything more than three years old the athletes are better now everything's better you know there's certainly things about old sports that i love a lot more than modern sports you know i look at some old stadiums and i'm like man i wish i could go there when people talk about and there's problems you know in, in being a sports viewer these days with the different the balkanizations of all the streaming networks and things like that and but, i think that the screens are too busy now you do have a point. I, I don't need the line of scrimmage on there. That's going to come into play almost never. But I'm you know talking I mean? about even like the constant bottom crawl of, you know, I mean, you okay. watch an you watch an NBA finals game and it's like watching Sports Center. It's like I don't really care in the middle of an NBA finals game what recruit signed to play at USC. I don't need that's, that. That's fair. Um But like when people make it seem like oh there's like everything was it's like you know, it's pretty nice right now that I can pull up my phone and check how the Yankees are doing if I'm out at dinner. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's that's so anyway. So they go on the air 94. It's it's football, but it's obviously football with a Fox spin. It's pretty revolutionary. They get, you know, another gear of the Cowboys and the 49ers. So they get, um, you know, they get another really good uh, NFL season. They get the NFC championship game that year. And Fox just kind of becomes, in a lot of ways, just like another network pretty soon where they're Fox, they have their own brand, but, you know, they're from a football standpoint, it's only, you know, what, two, three years before they're just an established commodity that, yeah, Fox has the NFC games. And I do think that that impacted Fox in ways that went beyond just sports. Um, I remember as a kid, you, they wouldn't show presidential debates on Fox. It just wasn't what they did. All of a sudden, you know, now when when there's when there's some sort of a breaking news or you know some sort of a presidential address, it's on Fox the same as it's on anywhere else. And I, I had another example, and I 
oh, mainstream TV shows. I mean, I'm sure The Simpsons won Emmys at some point, but you know, The X Files is talked about in the same breadth as you know ER and NYPD Blue as the great hour dramas of the '90s. It was a mainstream TV show. I think some of that stuff doesn't necessarily happen without the NFL. Yeah, well, think about also, I mean, in my mind, it's different eras, but really it was like six, seven years later. It's not our thing. I don't think it's not my thing. I don't think it's your thing. There's no more mainstream show than American Idol. And that was Mm -hmm. 2000. Now it's on ABC, I guess. But for decades, it was on Fox. Um, You know, and they had the the. Malcolm in the middle and that, you know, all of that. And it's, they were just, it was, they became much more of a grown up network, even though they were still Fox. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly right. So, so I mean, from the NFL, I don't know how much more there is to even, we've obviously done a lot on them landing the NFL in that first year, you know, some personnel changed. You went from Madden and Summerall to Buck and Collinsworth and Aikman as the top team. And it's really interesting that for, 25 years they really had two top teams collinsworth left the buck and aikman team but it was madden and summerall and then buck and aikman until this year um you know they the pregame show is jerry jimmy johnson went back to coaching they had ronnie lott for a while jb got replaced by kurt menifee but you know it's it's still continued to evolve and the, the thing i'll say is when cbs got the nfl back in 1998 they were a lot more similar to fox than than nbc had been the year before or that CBS had been five years earlier. And that I think, you know, even some of that was the part that I would criticize a little bit is, you know, I think there were times when they tried to be too much like Fox, you know, Madden had the all Madden team and Phil Sims had his all iron team. And what it didn't, didn't they have their own version of the turducken at CBS at some point? It was something, I don't even remember what it was. So yeah, I forget, but there was something, wasn't it? There was something. I'm not imagining that. I don't think I can look that up real quick, but yeah. So for good or for bad, they were trying to emulate Fox. Yeah. And I just mean, in terms of the game presentation, they had the box on the screen. They had, they were the ones who put the first down line in there on every play, but that was a Fox type innovation. Um, you know, that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, the NFL, they've done Super Bowls. They've done, you know, playoff games for years and years and years. It's just, it's fine. It's the NFL on Fox. It's, you know, where I, most of the games I watch because I watch the Giants are on Fox. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, I guess now, unless you had anything else in the NFL, it would be a good time to talk about some of the other sports they've had and the mixed results, but mostly positive if we're being fair. Well, they landed the NHL in 95, so basically about a year later. And I think this was a time where the NHL was sort of considered potentially sort of the cool up and coming young sport. And it kind of fit with the brand more than the NBA would have at that time. Yeah, and there is a brand. There's a, you know, Fox is a brand at that point. They were using the NFL to establish their brand. This was a brand hockey is more of like a generation x type sport no or at least they were they were trying to make it that um you know it's it's the late 90s teams like colorado were really good um and they figured they could you know 
they have a lot less casual fans than other sports do. Yep. So, and the hockey fan is is sort of there's very few people who are like, I really like hockey. It's my third favorite sport. There are a lot of there are some of those, but most people who are like diehard hockey fans, that's their sport. So the things you might do to bring a casual viewer in are going to alienate diehard fans, which you have in every sport. The question is, would you rather lose 10 diehard fans and gain 30 casual fans? And the answer almost always is yes. In this instance, it was, you know, maybe just a little too, they weren't able to grow the audience just because people were turning on Fox to watch Melrose place. They weren't necessarily turning it on to watch Vancouver against Detroit. You know what I mean? Um, the thing they were most known for at the time was something called the Fox tracks, which was a basically a glowing puck. So if you watch the hockey game on Fox back then, one of the complaints for decades for people about hockey, and it turns out what really fixed this problem for the most part is, HD make the, is make the TVs a lot better. Yep. It, it wasn't anything you could do to the game. It was make every TV five times as big as it used to be and make the cameras a lot better. But people say they can't follow the puck, you know, and there's different things that have been tried over the years, or at least called into WFAN about one Saturday when I was getting a haircut in the early nineties. <laughs> um, but Fox came up with this thing that was basically like a, a computerized glowing blue light that would take off after the puck that only the viewers on TV would see the players and the fans on the stands wouldn't see it. Yeah. And it, it, it said, you know, it was considered to be Fox sports always kind of stood behind it and said like, Hey, people did like it, but I, I don't remember that, like, you know, other friends of mine, you know, teenagers talking about how cool they thought it was. Yeah. But I guess the, the thing was they, they weren't, they weren't making enough new fans with that and the backlash was kind of loud and things like that and also it's just hockey and hockey struggled with this for a long time and i'm not knocking hockey i mean it's not a sport that is huge i mean for years nbc had hockey you know and on nbc sports and on regular nbc and they the stanley cup finals i think three of the games would be on nbc and the rest would be on nbc nbc sports well, you, you kind of segue into something that I wanted to talk about a little bit because I was just reading there hadn't been a, until this new Fox because Fox ended up. They split it with ESPN and they did half the Stanley Cup games were on Fox and half were on mm -hmm. ESPN. They didn't have a there hadn't been a network Stanley Cup game since 1980. Yeah, and there hadn't been one in prime time since like 1971. So even, even that's revolutionary is the idea of a national contract for the NHL was something that you hadn't really seen in the modern era. So even that was sort of groundbreaking for Fox and they did some other things where they tried to, they were 98 was when the NHL did their first all-star game. That wasn't just, the two different conferences. It was the idea of the, you know, the, the, U, the, was it the North American against the, yeah, it was usually North America against the world. All, all of which were ways to try and make it a little more, just to get a little bit of buzz among, you know, people like we were, you know, the casual sports, that's the sports fan who's only casually interested in hockey. Yeah, and I think the other issue they have, too, is, you know, hockey players are tough to market. A lot of them aren't from this country. A lot of, you know, rightly or wrongly, a lot of names that have 
Z's and X's and French Canadian names. It's, you know, you're not going to draw in as many casual viewers, but some bells and whistles as you might for the NFL. And they play with helmets on and they, they the game moves I mean, they really the NFL too, but no, but you, the game moves so fast and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to get close up. You know, you get a close up on Tom Brady after every second play. You can't really do that as much in hockey. It was just a style. It was a style mismatch. The the NFL in or the NHL in nineteen ninety six or nineteen ninety seven on Fox in nineteen ninety six or nineteen ninety seven. It was just a little too much of a of a mismatch. And where are they now? Because I know that they're half on Turner and half on ESPN. ESPN. So they're, they're gonna... back on ESPN. They hadn't been on ESPN since the lockout, and now they're back on ESPN. Them and Turner kind of split. Uh, last year was the first year of that. And you'll have games on ABC, I would imagine, for the Stanley Cup. I think so, yeah. Yeah, which actually I think kind of makes the most sense to have it all on one umbrella where you have a broadcast network and a cable network. Um, mm-hmm. Which is funny now because it, pretty much every everybody but CBS basically has that now because ABC has ESPN, NBC has NBC Sports, and Fox has Fox Sports. So there's ways you can do it. CBS C- has CBS Sports Network, but that's like, that's not a major, that's a step lower than all the rest of them. Actually, NBC Sports is gone now. But what they did is. Oh, that's they've, right. They've, they've, they've used USA and. Um, CNBC. And, yeah, CNBC, yes. But US, USA is a major cable channel. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you see USA. You see CBS and Turner um, partner mm-hmm. on things like the tournament. And that's actually a question I want to raise to you at the end. Sort of a little bit of a digression right at the end. Um, but. The hockey's tough because you got seven teams in Canada, including some markets that are not major media markets at all. But then you've got them in areas like Dallas and Tampa, teams in San Jose. And I think, too, people assume that certain teams, just because it's warm there doesn't mean they don't support the hockey team. Like... Dallas has been there forever and they love the stars in Dallas. The Lightning have won three Stanley Cups, two, they almost won a third straight Stanley Cup this year. Like mm-hmm. they like the Lightning. Now, do the Arizona Coyotes draw? No, the Arizona Coyotes do not draw. And they're you playing like I mean? a 28 person, 2800 person stadium the next I mean, now of years. They're, they're going to, but like, yeah. you know, just because it's oh it's it's the South, like pl- plenty of people are fans there, but you're right. It's it's definitely, a, you know. If you get a Stanley Cup final that involves the Vancouver Canucks, it's tough to make an American audience care whether that's right or not. You know, and I don't know if this is by design or just I don't know if this is part of the contract or if this is just something they've chosen to do. You will almost never see one of these national, you know, broadcasts. NHL Network maybe is a different story, but these other broadcasts, you will almost never see them do a game in Canada. And you oh, no. will never, ever see them do a game between two Canadian teams. I'm sure CBC has something to do with that. The Canadian channel. Um, now, in, if the two played each other in the playoffs, they'd have no choice. They'd have yeah, to broadcast. Would be, it, would be, it would be on TV. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't just be on in Canada. But, um, so you got a quarter of your league that you're looking at and basically saying, we as the national broadcast partner are just going to basically pretend that quarter of the league doesn't exist. Including, I mean, obviously you have Montreal and Toronto who are two huge legacy Mm -hmm. teams. And then right now Edmonton's got one of the biggest stars hockey. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. This is a little far afield. Well, it's not really, though. We're talking about broadcast no, for so. And then I guess and then in 90, 96, they get baseball. Yeah. So baseball um, and this had the potential also to be another bit of a clash. Um, you know, you think about baseball and as sort of traditional as it gets. And, you know, Fox had had the NFL for a couple of years. So people were. uh People were, were knew they weren't going to again, you know, have toilet flush sounds after a dropped pass or something like that. But you know, I think when it comes to baseball, it's like, oh, are you going to mess with baseball? But you know, you're coming off the '94 strike, and to me, and I can't help but you know, I'm of a certain age where, to me, my childhood, and you, you almost have to be exactly my age and from this part of the country to be this nostalgic about the end about major league baseball on Fox growing up because <laughs> from the time Fox got baseball for the first time in 1996, I was in fifth grade from when I was in fifth grade to when I was in 12th grade and they didn't have a world series a couple of those years, but most of them they've had from every world in, series since 2000 from when I was in fifth grade to when I was in 12th grade, eight years, the Yankees were in the world series, six of them. And all but one of them was on Fox mm -hmm. and all but one of them that was on Fox. They won. So and they were all done by Buck and McCarver. Yeah. So it's hard not for, you know, they they got a few years ago. They got away from it. and They went to the, the NFL on Fox song. But for a long time, Fox had their own baseball songs. When I hear that, I still picture like. A crisp October day. Yeah. I, I picture Joe Torre in that heavy Yankee jacket. Yeah. I, I swear to you, this is exactly what I picture. And I picture the Yankees winning the World Series. So, well, and that's the reason for nostalgia from us, yeah, because I'm the not, first yeah. year was 96 Yankees. Yeah. So they've, you know, and this is, by the way, again, talk about long running properties. Now, obviously, they do a lot less baseball now in terms of they split the playoffs with Turner and then, you know, they only have one championship series. And then, but they do have the World Series every year still. And this will be the first World Series this year since this will be the first. Let's let's make it real simple. This will be the first World Series this century that Joe Buck hasn't done. Wow! I'll be forty yeah. in a couple of months. The last time there was a, the last time there was a World Series that Joe Buck didn't do, I was sixteen. I don't think I have my driver's license yet, and I'll be forty in a couple of months. It's crazy to think about that run. And I think they lucked out with Buck and that he was the brand be able to be the brand of both sports. Yeah, we should talk a little. I mean, the baseball, you know, they 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 got lucky. I don't want to say they got lucky, but they were fortunate that right as they were getting the getting baseball, the most popular franchise in professional sports was starting a dynasty. Mm -hmm. Um they got some 96 was a classic World Series. 97, despite having, you know, not a, being the Indians and the Marlins, was a classic World Series. They got a Subway Series. Well, they weren't. They didn't do 97. But Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. They got a Subway Series in 2000. They got yep. the 01 World Series with uh, with the, the post 9-11 Yankees Diamondbacks. They got some they got the Yankees Red Sox rivalry in 03 and 04. They got some great stuff to get established as the baseball channel. 
And that Yankee Red Sox rivalry was huge to them. I remember they were doing games. I remember one time early in the season in 04, they did a Friday night in April game on Fox, Yankee Red Sox. Friday yeah. night, eight April Major League Baseball game because the rivalry was so hot. The Yankees and the Red Sox during those couple of years, rare was a rare was a Saturday where one of those teams wasn't the Fox game. The other thing I would say is that they were able the Fox box also was great for baseball because you could put where the runners were. You could put the count. You could put how many outs, all those types of things. So the Fox box in some ways almost worked better for baseball than it did for football. So that that was a blessing that it that it came on there as well. So should we talk a little about Joe Buck just for a minute since we're talking about baseball and football and just talk about. Can I touch real quick? And I think we might have talked about this a little bit in the 96 Yankees episode, but it's also worth noting that the two years prior to Fox on NBC, Fox getting baseball were an absolute disaster. It was this thing called the baseball network that was basically major league baseball would produce the games and then either ABC or NBC would supply the broadcasters and they were supposed to do both the 94 and the 95 world series with this 94 ended up not happening because of the strike. So in 95, you had probably for the first time in a very long time, maybe ever the world series was back and forth between the two, uh, the two networks. So I think it was Michaels and McCarver did it on ABC and Costas and Al Michaels, Costas and McCarver did it. Or I'm sorry, Costas and Morgan and Euchre did it on NBC. Like, so like when you look at like the famous the 95 Yankees ALDS, it the first two games were done by NBC guys. It was done by uh, Gary Thorne. And then the last three were actually done by Brent Musburger on ABC. But it was all the baseball network. And it was so childish that even during the World Series, the networks would refuse to promote each other. So they wouldn't say like, Hey, game three is coming up on NBC. Check it out. They would like pretend it wasn't going on. They'd they'd be running ads for friends or whatever, ignoring the fact that the world series you were watching was going to be played on that night. So sort of like you were saying with the football, the debacle that was the baseball network kind of created an Avenue for Fox CBS wasn't going to get back in. They had just lost it a couple of years before and NBC and CBS or NBC and ABC were kind of damaged goods a little bit. Although NBC did keep it for a few more years, like you said, and Fox was able to slide in and they've been the baseball network for 25 years. I don't know what you want to say about Buck. I mean, I, Buck's one of those guys. It's like, there's things that are easy to make fun of. I think he sometimes, takes himself a little too seriously at times, but I mean, he's a damn good big game announcer. And, you know, I stop and think sometimes how many, you know, he did how many Yankee world series victories. He was the broadcaster for basically every game of both giant super bowl runs in the Eli Coughlin years. I guess he didn't do the second super bowl would have been on a different network. I think that was on NBC, right? 46. Yes. NBC had 46. 
Did he call the wild card games? Yes. I know they called the 07 wild card game. I think he called the Falcons giant wild card. I think they were going to always, almost always put him on the Giants. Yeah, um, unless the Cowboys were involved or something. So I which they wouldn't have been the way wouldn't have been an eleven because the Giants 11. were a nine and seven division winner. Yeah, so I, I think he did do seven of the eight. Um, so there's just been so, so many big sports moments over the last twenty five years that he's been at the mic for. Yeah, and he he Fox was his jump. He had been you know a young sort of baseball kind of guy doing some some Cardinals games, still very much in his father's shadow. They bring him in in 1994. Fox does. They make him the youngest man ever to announce, you know, consistently announce NFL games. Within a year, he's doing baseball. And he's just, you know, up until literally six months ago, he's been the signature guy when you think of Fox Sports for 25 years. And again, he's up. I think he gets a little, he gets way too much criticism as an announcer. I understand not being in love with his personality. He's very smarmy. He's like you said, he takes himself very seriously. It's almost become a joke now how seriously he takes himself. But um, he's a really good announcer and he's been the face of Fox Sports pretty much. I I guess you could say it was Madden and Summerall for a while, but, you know, he's been. On the whole, he's been the Madden and Summerall were only at Fox for what, six or seven years. They came in 94, and their last game was the Brady-Manning Super Bowl, which would have, I'm sorry, Brady-Manning Super Bowl, the Brady-Rams Super Bowl in 01, so in four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight. eight years, yeah. Yeah, I think the thing about Buck is that he, what's the right way to say this? I think there's a couple things you need to keep, I mean, you know, he doesn't need to do anything, he's a multimillionaire and has lived an amazing life, but I think a couple of places where he trips himself up, he sometimes acts like he's too good for the fans. Like, well, you know, these people who watch sports all the time for fun, how, you know, how stupid are they? And I also think maybe sometimes you need to recognize, and these people are wrong. Don't get me wrong about that. But he has a job that every fan in America would kill for. And most fans in America think they could do, even if they're wrong. And so for him to act as if, you know, having to watch these, you know, these sporting events is, is is so beneath me, which he does come across as at times, you know, contrast him sometimes with a guy like Costas, who never makes anybody doubt how much he he had his issues with football, obviously. But, you know, Costas loves the sports. I don't know if you get the same impression from Buck and maybe that's just me, but yeah, I think that's fair. And his, um, his talk show was not very good. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> um, so should we talk about a few other sort of aspects of Fox Sports that they've had over the years? I only um, have one, which, but you you go ahead. I, I only have one other one in my mind that I think is like worth noting as part of this era. But go ahead. So starting in 2001, they got the Daytona 500. Um, and NASCAR, but specifically what I'm going to talk about is the Daytona 500. And I had never put two and two together until a few years ago that, so I want the, we, we used to have a VHS of the NFC championship game from 2000 when the Giants beat the Vikings, which would have been late January of 01. Mm-hmm. And the, the post game, the third or fourth segment of the post game or the pregame or something they talked to, I think it's Michael Waltrip. And they're like, well, we're excited to have our, first NASCAR race, and it's the Daytona 500, which is the biggest NASCAR race there is, uh, in a few weeks here on Fox, you know, two weeks after the Super Bowl or whatever it is, and they're talking about it. 
and I hadn't put two and two together till a few years ago that unfortunately for Fox, and I mean, not that Fox is the victim in this, but the first race of uh, the first NASCAR race, the first Daytona 500 Fox had was the 01 Daytona 500 where Dale Earnhardt was killed on the final lap. Um, so they still do broadcast uh, NASCAR to this day. Um, you know, a lot of Saturday afternoons, Sunday afternoons when it's not football season. I guess NASCAR is usually on Sundays, I think. Um, yeah. When, yeah. When it's not football season, you can turn it on Fox and you'll see a lot of NASCAR, um, which is just kind of diverse. You know, it's it, it, very diversity of audiences from, you know, some of the other programming they have in sports. But And it's not something they would have had 10 years previous. In 1991? No, yeah, as, as a lead into In Living Color? Exactly. It wouldn't have been their audience. Yeah, but I mean, I mean they that's... still have those shows, those types of shows. It's not like they've gone pure, like, you know, good old boy network. They just also, you know, they still have the In Living Color type shows. They just and, also have and, Daytona. And to be fair, NASCAR's audience has evolved, too. I mean, that's it's true, still, too. Obviously, you know, it's a lot of people from the, you know southern rural fan bases but there's you know most of the drivers from california these days so it's like it's not you know we don't want to paint with too broad a brush here mm -hmm. um so the couple i had a couple other things um i think a big thing from the early 2000s you got to talk about is the ufc yep they you know we could get into a whole thing but one of the things fox did is they sort of partnered and i don't know the exact details but they partnered with a lot of regional sports networks and this is over, but for 20 years, this was the case where the local sports channel in a lot of towns, not in New York, because New York had MSG and yes. And, you know, and all of that, but most towns were a lot of the local sports network where let's, you know, if you lived in Houston, the channel, the Rockets game would be on was Fox sports, Houston or Fox sports, LA or Fox sports, Miami. So I don't think they fully owned those. I think it was more of a partnership and they broadcast some of their shows like the best damn sports show. But that was, that was a big part of their sort of growth as a sports network, really network in the truest sense in the nineties and two thousands. Um, that got kind of replaced in the, the early 2000 teens, 2011 with Fox sports one FS one and sort of one of the signatures of FS one when they came up, was the UFC and Fox would show what I think ultimately ESPN took the contract over four or five years ago, but Fox sports one would have tons of UFC. They have daily studio shows on the UFC. They would have, I think there was a originally a, a reality show called the ultimate fighter that became very popular. And then what Fox would do and now ESPN does is if you have a pay-per-view, you know, let's say, you know, one of the big UFC pay-per-views, the main event and maybe the top three preliminaries will be on, you know, the top three undercard matches will be on the pay-per-view, but on Fox sports or on, you know, what they would have is let's say if the pay-per-view went on the air at nine o'clock from five to seven, there'd be some really preliminary fights on FS one. And then from seven to nine, there'd be some fights on Fox. They use so everything that they have. Yep, and then the, the pay-per-views would a lot of times be UFC in conjunction with Fox or something like that. So, you know, that was hard to overstate that for a long time, specifically FS1, but Fox to an extent was, if you were a, an MMA fan, that was the channel that you got most of your, you know, MMA, UFC on was the Fox family of networks. 
and that sort of also fit with their brand as kind of the young mm-hmm. network of the young mm-hmm. cutting edge, whatever and you then, want to call it. And then they also had some, co- they have some college football. Um, you know, it's, it's moved around a little where for a long time it was like SEC was on the, it was on channels, it was on CBS and the big 10 would be on ABC and NBC had Notre Dame. Fox always kind of was a little left out of that formulation. They would have the big 12 and pack 10 at night. Like sometimes you'd see, Oh yeah. The, you know, Oregon and USC are playing at, you know, nine o'clock Eastern time or something like that. But they also got the BCS championship game in the, yeah. for a long time. And was that the one you were going to bring up? Yeah. I was going to mention that they have the BCS title game where they had it for years. So, mm-hmm. and I think they still have some of the playoffs, don't they? Or maybe does ESPN have all the playoffs now? You know, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I, my mm-hmm. guess is I, my, they think it might all be when in the ESPN family now. That would make sense. But, you know, in what, 30 years, they've gotten their hands in almost everything. The only things you really don't see them is they they have a very little amount of basketball. Again, they have some basketball just because every channel's got some college basketball. Well, Fox Sports is the home of the Big East now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't see a lot of games on Fox. But, yeah, you're right. It is the home of the Big East. Um, And they've never really had they've never had the NBA or seemingly made a serious push at the NBA. They've had the NFL for 30 years. They've had the end major league baseball for damn near 30 years at this point. They've, you know, they've had, they had the U S open for a while and golf. They, that's you know, right. NASCAR, they had the UFC. Um, they are, you know, from a network standpoint, just, just now talking about the networks, whose sports package would you rather have besides Fox? Nobody really. Well, that was how I was going to kind of close it with you is, I mean, it, it's hard because, the NFL just trumps everything else. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they have the NFL plus probably the second major sport, you know, baseball. I mean, I guess, I guess you could probably make an argument for CBS because they have the NCAA tournament also. Yeah. That's only six days though, or whatever, like where it's, you yeah. know what I mean? No, and they still, I I don't know how exactly the golf breaks down now, but I think CBS has, CBS still has some of it. They definitely have the Masters. CBS still has the Masters, but Fox has taken some of the others. Yeah, and I mean, you think who has the weakest? I mean, I guess you'd have to say ABC. They don't really have anything. I mean, they got. They have the NBA. They have the NBA. That's that's a fair point. They have the NBA. And I guess it's, of all of them, ESPN and ABC are the hardest to decouple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of time for a long time, anytime there were sports on ABC, they would be branded as ESPN. I think they still are. I think that's why I was making that point about the NBA finals and the crawl about, you know, who's mm-hmm. who's winning lacrosse that night. But so it's it's interesting to me, you know, you, you figure sort of like the big properties. Fox has got the World Series. The the Super Bowl obviously splits around. CBS has got the NCAA tournament. ABC ESPN has the most of the, it's my understanding. I'm not an expert has most of the college football national championship. I'd imagine when they do this tour, when they expand it to 12 teams, everybody will have a piece of it. Mm-hmm. NBC, they got a super bowl. It, they, get the, they get Sunday night football, which is, a, which is know, a which brand. Is, yeah. 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 But NBC, other than that, they don't really have, they got the Olympics, but other than that, NBC's not got much else. They don't even have hockey anymore. Now. They don't even have NBA, hockey anymore. NBC has Sunday Night Football. They have Notre Dame. 
Yeah, which is still not as big a deal as it was, but it's they have Notre Dame home games, which is six games a year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some golf, and they, I mean, and they have the Olympics, have, which is a big deal, but it's also only four weeks. It's a it averages out to a week a year. Well, oh, you know what else? It's more like two. It's more like two weeks a year because it's winter and summer. Each of them are two weeks long. Oh, they're not. Yeah, they're, oh, you're right. Okay, I was thinking, we, there's four weeks of Olympics. I was thinking they were more like three to four weeks, but you're right. It's it's closer to just over two. You're right. Um, and I guess I think I think NBC now also has a good amount of Premier League soccer, which the times are not great on, but they do get big ratings. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, you know, it's it, it's it's interesting to think about, sort of, you know, because you got to figure, and we can close after this. Just in my lifetime that I've been aware, the NBA has been on three different channels. It's been on CBS and then NBC and then ABC. Baseball's been on all four and the World Series has been on. I remember World Series on. I mean, I remember the baseball network and that was NBC and ABC. I I don't quite remember World Series in the early 90s on CBS. Um, Obviously, hockey's been on. Hockey's never been on C- CBS and then, you know, football's obviously been everywhere. I, I mean, I've, I've had, it's, it's, it was so crazy last night. Monday night football was back on ABC. They got to be able to get the song back just for that one, <laughs> that one night. Hank Williams song. Yeah. And Hey, that was another property that was just, you know, off the charts. I don't know if uh, most people are doing business with old Hank these days. Yeah, but, uh, I know he says, I mean, you can't, you can't deny the song though. Oh no, I loved the song. Yeah, they could bring the song back. So yeah, so a little fun, uh, little fun journey this week into a different type of topic, a, a broadcast property. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely um, you know obviously most of the story is in sort of the moonshot that landed them the NFL in the nineties. But I just thought since we're talking about the topic, we should explore really everything that has made Fox Sports what they are you know today and uh everything that entails so absolutely well next time uh, another topic of a totally different stripe and that's kind of how we do it here on hello old sports but until then i am dan newman and i'm andrew newman goodbye old sports this podcast is part of the sports history network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport you can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast.
Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.